Welcome back to the Mental Health Commute with Dr. Walt Duffy and Matt Duffy. We thought we would talk about today stubbornness. I think people wonder if this is always a negative thing for somebody to be stubborn. And you hear people talking about this all the time. Well, that person's just being stubborn. You know, there's no stubbornness disorder in the DSM-5 that I know of. But I do know that we'll hear from, you know, people in sessions or other folks that if you could just help me with my own stubbornness or this person's being stubborn and how to deal with those types of people. And I start thinking, you know, is it negative? Is it positive? Is there a spectrum of stubbornness? And is stubbornness always what it seems? You know, we talk about the the shadow illnesses. We've talked about that before. Matt, you know, when you think of the, the word stubbornness and behaviors and maybe even personality traits associated with that, what does that bring up in your mind? The easy point, I think, for stubbornness is someone who's not willing to move off their position or point or whatever it is that they're currently, I guess, being argued with of whether or not they should continue doing. You rarely ever hear someone stubborn if both parties are in agreement. So you said a word there, not willing. When you say not willing, does that always mean that they are truly not willing or is there another other possibilities or is that how you sort of think about it? I guess to me, stubbornness, if we're going to talk about it in, in these terms of where I think we may be going, then to some degree we're saying that it's a choice because if people are asking, how do I not be stubborn or how do I... Pr- help someone else who's stubborn not be stubborn, then we're saying that you can control it and that you can choose to not be stubborn. So for you to be stubborn, if we're in a conversation or I'm asking you to do something, then somebody like me must be asking you to do something or not to do something or to change. Is that sort of correct? Yeah, there's some point of disagreement. I think stubborn is the word we use when we associate someone's response as negative. If they're unwilling to move off their point, but it results in a positive, then we don't as often say that they're stubborn about their unwillingness to change. So this is really interesting. So stubbornness, and I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there, is that it's not your behavior that's bothering you. It's my perception of what you're saying, what you're doing, and the meaning behind that. So my perception is a negative one that you're behaving, acting, talking in a certain way because you're being stubborn. I think that's the most common. I think there's another side of sometimes jealousy. If You know, someone's not great at something, but they work at it and they get better. But you're like, someone is telling them just to give up and they're too stubborn to give up. Then their improvement may cause jealousy or the person who's unwilling to dedicate that amount of time and effort into improvement is jealous. But instead of recognizing that, they just go, well, they're too stubborn to listen that they'll never be successful. That is very interesting because I just in my social media feed last night, I was scrolling through. And there just happened to be a post, I believe from a dad, regarding his six-year-old daughter. And she was born prematurely, was not given great odds of at all of making it. And in fact, when she was born, her heart would stop beating the first you know, couple days. And this dad would just sit by her side. And every time that sort of happened, he rubbed on her chest or doing like chest little compressions. I, this is how I sort of perceive it in my mind. 
And he said at some point, one of the staff walked by him and said, you know, it's sort of useless, not going to work. He just happened to be posting about his now six-year-old daughter just having finished her um, dance recital. And it looks like stubbornness can be a very positive virtue thing that you have also. In that example, you know, what, what sparked in my mind is the patient was the one f- not giving in. Then you typically hear that they're a fighter, right? They're they're unwilling to give up. They're fighting it. So if it's a positive connotation, you're a fighter. But if it's a negative, then you're stubborn. Most contexts that I think of in this example. That's one way of looking at stubbornness or from a positive, negative, how you sort of look at it. So individually, can you sort of maintain with something despite odds or the unbelief of others in you? You just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And then there's the perception that your behavior is in a certain way. And then I think it's what's behind some of the stubbornness sometimes, you know. Sometimes people have goals that they're trying to achieve, so they are stubbornly dedicated to a specific routine. Now, sometimes they don't get the goal that they, what they really think is the goal they want is not the goal they get. Another example for my social media feed was a valedictorian. I'm not sure if he was of the high school or the college class, but he talked about he had this goal, especially his last year of school, that he wanted that valedictorian certificate medal. And so he gave up a lot to earn that, you know. He gave up a lot of social activities with friends, spending time with friends, just doing things. What he mentioned was that, you know, the day of the ceremony when he got that, boy, he was excited, pumped up for about 15 seconds. He was just elated. I achieved what I wanted to achieve. I got it. And he said, all of a sudden, you know, I sat down, And the 16th second came. And he said, it was all gone. I had no feelings whatsoever. I had achieved this goal really due for me. He said, what did I give? Then I started looking at what did I give up to get this? He talked about uh, to his class, because he was given the valedictorian speech. I was giving up my friendships, these other things. So when you look forward in life, not missing out on those things with family, he says, I realize what my bigger goal is for all of us in life. He said, hopefully my lesson learned will be your lesson that you don't have to learn. Yeah, I've seen that too. I think it's viral video at some point. That, I think, is the one of the reasons a lot of people disagree with people who are stubborn. And it's because there's this misunderstanding or disagreement of how important the end goal is compared to what's being given up to get there. And a different set of maybe what's valuable in someone's life Like that person is valedictorian and studying and all that more valuable than time with your friends, making memories. I mean, he has memories. They're just different than what other (laughs) (laughs) other people remember in, in their high school, senior year experience. There's probably a lot of difficulty in communication when you can't understand the other person's point of view. So that brings it really back into the mental health arena, because what I see in working with people is that a lot of times there's a myriad of reasons behind quote-unquote stubbornness, and it's really finding out what are the reasons behind that. For example, somebody might have severe social anxiety disorder or obsessive-compulsive disorder. So what is seen as them being very stubborn is they are just not able to come out of their shell. 
they're not able to do what you want them to do. They might very much want to. They don't know how to. Their reaction is to be, in your mind, stubborn. You have to help give them the tools. And can you get down to that level that you're able to relate with them that it's not that you don't want to, you don't know how to. And we see this a lot of times also with parents and teenagers. You want your teenager to do a certain thing, behave a certain way. Well, you've had a lot of years in this world (laughs) learning how to deal with different scenarios. Your teenager has not had all those different experiences. And sometimes they have a lot of other things going on in their life that you're not aware of. And there just might be some issues, personality traits, things that are going on in their life that are coming across to you as them being quite stubborn. And sometimes being able to take a step back and think about that, because usually you're thinking about them, but you're also thinking about your end goal (laughs) and what you want either them to accomplish or you all to accomplish or somebody move forward. For example, I want my teenager to go see the psychiatrist or the therapist. They do not want to go see the psychiatrist or the therapist. That's a pretty common thing to have happen. How is that broached or they might have come in once or twice and they don't want to come back? Nobody brings it up or it gets brought up somehow. And when that occurs, especially on my part, it's really taking a step back and trying to engage with the teenager or with who it, whoever it is. It could be an adult. It can be a, a kid. If you can get a little bit of the relationship going, then you can move forward. But if you're just hammering at uh, you have to do it this certain way or you're just being stubborn, when I tell you you're being stubborn, I'm probably not going to get a very positive response from you. <laughs> you're probably going to dig in your heel. I think so. For most of the time and the general ways that it's used in discussion. The interesting point in that example for me was one thing that we've seen asked a lot is why are people stubborn? Is it genetic? A personality trait? Is it, are you born with it? I think stubbornness mostly is a learned behavior. I haven't seen anything that says there's a, a gene that is the stubborn gene. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen it out there. So when I listen to your example, parent and child, well, the parent's being stubborn. You're going to go see a therapist or a psychiatrist, and there's no discussion. It's happening. Well, there might have been a discussion, but you said no. (laughs) So now I'm making a decision. (laughs) Which really isn't a discussion. It's we're going to have a talk, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. So now your kids just potentially, and this probably isn't the first time that it's happened in this scenario, but... They're mirroring your approach to the situation, which is I've made up my mind before I ever come in and we're not going to talk. I'm just going to tell you what my decision is. So now you're both stubborn and you want the other one to not be stubborn, but you're not willing potentially or not able to see it that you're also not willing to not be stubborn in the example. So how can you expect the other person to change if your perception is, well, I'm not stubborn, I'm just right. And they're wrong, so obviously wrong is stubborn, right is fine. So if you're in a relationship with somebody, or you're trying to get this to occur, can you think of what you might do? Because you're right, you really have no control over the other person's responses, right? Or their actions. I mean, true control. You can drag them somewhere, but they can go there and they can just sit. They don't don't have to talk. (laughs) And so we see these things or they can come in for example they can come in and tell me the psychiatrist oh yep 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 oh you want to prescribe that 
Yeah, yeah. And they get home. They don't do any of it. <laughs> they meet your agenda. You got me brought in, right? But I really didn't make any changes. So when we're talking relationships, for me, it's important to distinguish between parent, child, and two adults. Because a parent has a different responsibility with a child than two adults do interacting. Right? As a, as a parent, you're required, more or less, to ensure safety and those things in a child as a adult with another adult if you don't have responsibility to ensure that they're going to do the right things in their life so there is a different accountability level for conversation depending on if you're talking boyfriend girlfriend that are in their 20s versus parent child and the child's 15. you phrase it as we're a team and there's a problem how are we going to attack the problem together so instead of you have a problem you're going to fix it by doing this it's rather approached in in some context of, and I'm probably not great at doing this because I, I can't think of the best examples off the top of my head, but the problem is that you're not doing well in school. Well, let's take one that is really common to a lot of people, and the yeah. school is different. So animals are pretty common, right? People like animals. People like dogs, cats. It's very common for, I don't care what age you are, mommy, daddy, I want a cat, I want a dog. In your case, it was a snake. But it, people want different things. This happens even when people get older, right? So I want this. And you talk through before, this is what it's going to entail. You know, we're going to have to change the, for example, the kitty litter. We're going to have to take the dog out every morning, every night. And this will be your job to do. And uh, you've talked about that. Everybody's agreed. You've gone down, let's just say, to the humane shelter. Uh, you've picked up Rover from there. Brought him home. He's eight weeks old. All of a sudden, you got to potty train him. So somebody has to take him out, bring him in. You've also got a little kitty midi out there. And somebody has to do the kitty litter, right? And all of a sudden, nobody really wants to do that day after day after day. So uh, people just stop doing it, you know. I really like to spend time with a little rover, kitty mitty, but I don't want to clean up after after them. And so all of a sudden, what are you going to do? Because what ha often happens in these situations is uh, the parents have gotten sort of attached to the, the little mutt being around. <laughs> and uh, they would like to have it sort of be around. But they're also trying to teach responsibility, correct? Let's say you're the, the teenager, the young one, you don't want to take care of, or you're not taking care of it. So what are we going to do? So now every day I'm telling you, you know, Matt, you have to clean up. You have to do the kitty litter. You have to get up at five in the morning, take Rover out, and every night, you know, take him out again. And you say, well, no, or you just don't do it. Passively don't do it. So what do you do? I don't have a great answer to that question. What I hear in that situation, as a parent, I want the animal, but I'm going to try and use the animal as a way to teach responsibility. But you got that. It was all agreed on. You got the animal originally because you, the young one, wanted it. I wasn't planning on getting Rover. You wanted Rover. I said, okay, we'll go get Rover, but there's some responsibility that goes along with having Rover. But now that Rover's here, I sort of like Rover. So, yes, I sort of have a little bit of attachment, but the original reason was because you wanted Rover, and you might really like Rover. You might spend quite a bit of time with him. At the end of the day, if it's not in, I guess in this example, Rover's best interest to be with the family because no one's taking care of him, then the option is to give Rover away. Yeah, well, I am taking care of him because even though you don't, <laughs> I end up doing it. I'm just sort of pissed that I have to do it. 
yeah, and that's that becomes where's the issue really lying for me? Is that uh, I'm upset that the initial conversation isn't going the way that it it was intended, right? You agreed to do something for the next 35 years of your life, and we're seven years in or seven months in, and you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain. What are my options at that point? Because to me, there's little to be done outside of just ongoing consequences for not following through on the original agreement, which is just going to probably lead to more issues in your relationship. And I'm sorry. I'm not really. I'm not really sorry, but I sort of painted you into a corner there. You really had nowhere to go. Well, you and mom never got me a dog, so that was just (laughs) over and done. (laughs) We knew what was going to (laughs) happen, although he's done very well with his multiple dogs and cats since that out on his own. I think here's a bigger story, the idea to look at is that we've talked about the 80-20 rule that occurs in life. This is probably more like the 95-5 rule. 5% of the time is where you really need to hold somebody super accountable and really follow through. So, But you have choices in this matter. So the choices are, I like Rover, the parent. I like Rover, and I can continue to keep Rover and take care of Rover. Or I can decide to put down the final rule, and the final rule is Matthew. (laughs) This is what you're going to do. You have to take... We'll split the duties because I do like Rover and I spend time with him. So half the time you're going to take him out and half the time I'm going to take it out. And we're going to have a schedule. And if it's not followed, we're taking Rover back to the Humane Society or we're going to find a, a home where he can stay and somebody will take care of him. That's the choice you have rather than me just making sure that because I, I can't make you take care of him. All right. Or the third option is I like as a parent, I like Rover enough that now I'm willing to do it. Yep, that's another option. But I, I can't decide that I want Rover around, but I'm going to use Rover to force accountability to my children. Yeah, or I can say, if you want to keep Rover, you do all the taking care of him. And if you can't do that or are not willing to do that, then Rover will go back and everybody might be upset. And you might be mad at me afterwards. You might not be, but you might be, at least for a little while. But you have choices in the matter without getting into long, extended arguments about it. So I believe we this episode, we really honed in more on stubbornness as more of a relationship issue versus really what happens a lot in mental health when you're looking at people who have significant issues going on, whether that's depression, anxiety, personality traits, issues, and that people actually come into therapy for. I think the important point to take away from this episode for everybody is that stubbornness a lot of times is a two-way street. It's two people's perception of what is going on. One person is, quote-unquote, not wanting to change something or is going to go a certain way. Another person is wanting them to change. Just something for everybody to think about. I would also like to comment that, you know, this is Nurse Week. They provide a lot of help. I know to us at Elevation, who sponsors this podcast, they are vital to our operation. And when you think of nurses, you go all the way from licensed practical nurses, registered nurses, nurse practitioners. They are really on the forefront of providers in interacting with patients in a number of ways, whether that's drawing blood, prescribing medications, giving treatment. A big shout out to them, and we're happy we have such weeks to celebrate. We appreciate you tuning in to the Mental Health Commute. Talk to you next time. Thank you.